Let's go to space. Blue Sky Learning, episode 59, a lifelong love of aerospace. Today, we meet with Mr. Patrick Stakem. Mr. Stakem has been fascinated by the space program since the Vanguard launches in 1957. He received a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and master's degrees in physics and computer science from John Hopkins University. At Carnegie, he worked with a group of undergraduate students to reassemble, modify, and operate a surplus missile guidance computer, which was later donated to the Smithsonian. He was brought up in the mainframe era and was taught to never trust a computer that you could lift. Mr. Stegen began his career in aerospace with Fairchild Industries on the ATS-6, the Applications Technology Satellite 6 program, a communications satellite that developed much of the technology for the TDRSS, or the Tracking and Data Relay Satellite System. He followed the ATS-6 program through its operational phase and worked on other projects at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, including the Hubble Space Telescope, the International Ultraviolet Explorer, the Solar Maximum Mission, and some of the Landsat missions as well as the shuttle. He was posted to NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory for Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, which later became the Voyager mission, and is still operating and returning data from outside the solar system as we do this interview. Mr. Stakem initiated and led the International Flight Linux Project for the NASA's Earth Sciences Technology Office. He is the recipient of the Shuttle Program Manager's Commendation Award and has completed 42 NASA certification courses. Additionally, he has two NASA Group Achievement Awards and the Apollo Soyuz Test Program Award. Now, Mr. Stakem supports international collaborative open source projects and STEM programs. We are so excited to share this interview with you, and as always, we hope you'll stay tuned after for our takeaways. Welcome, Pat Stakem. We very much appreciate you joining us tonight. For our listeners, tell us a little bit about your long career in aerospace. How did you get involved? Um, I guess it started out. In high school, we did uh, model rocketry. We had a tremendous uh, physics teacher and um, we enjoyed the rocketry and, and we were asking questions like, how high did our rocket go? Which led into trigonometry, which led into trackers, you know. So we learned an awful lot by somebody who was extremely good uh, teacher. I'm still in touch with some of the uh, model rocket guys. Uh, one of them went on to become a, an astronaut. So it was uh, pretty exciting times there. Um, my first job uh, out of college, and I went to uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, in electrical engineering. And my first job was uh, at Fairchild Industries. Uh, they were building a uh, satellite called ATS-6, Application Technology Satellite. Uh, and that's why I mentioned uh, when Von Braun got very sick and his government insurance wasn't going to cover him, he quit and he went out into private industry that he could have gone anywhere he wanted to, but I think he wanted to stay close. So um, he was out at Fairchild or we overlap, shall we say, at Fairchild. But I followed the um, ATS-6 spacecraft for... Um, three companies. Uh, I left Fairchild, went to somewhere else, went to somewhere else. So most of my um, kind of hands-on is, uh, was at the Goddard Center, NASA Goddard, Got it. and I live very close to them. Uh, 
they sent me to all the other NASA centers at various times. <laughs> we had some exciting uh, things going on at down at the Cape and at Marshall and uh, Johnson and APL, JPL. Uh, so that just kept me going. So I wound up spending 42 years doing that kind of stuff, uh, basically um, engineering uh, and operations. Um, and I have taught at three different universities. Uh, one was uh, Loyola University in Maryland. They're not heavy hitter in technology, but they're not too bad. Um, and then I, I uh, taught for Johns Hopkins for a while and for a small college or university, they call themselves now uh, very close to my house. They built it very close to my house called uh, Capital Technology, Institute of Technology. And um, one of the exciting things I did there, I, I have a buddy close buddy who's Brazilian and he told me about this uh, program in Brazil that let students uh, come to the United States and do interesting work uh, and interesting studies and it was all funded by the government. Uh, they got a free ride, room and board, uh, meals and um, the tuition. So we set up a program over at uh, Capitol and it, it's almost walking distance. If I wasn't so lazy, I could have walked it. But um, we've focused on CubeSats. Okay. And I had them uh, design and test. Uh, the one thing about Capitol is very interesting. Uh, they actually have a control center and it's tied into NASA Goddard, which is about five miles away from them. And they train uh, controllers. And I have know a few that I met at Capitol and now they're working over at Goddard or up at uh, Space Telescope. So um, they had some nice facilities. Uh, we got our own ground station going. Um, and what I wanted to do after that was capture the uh, material, which I have in, in a uh, PowerPoint format. And I'll ask you if you know a good way uh, to make a recording of that, showing the PowerPoint while I talk oh, through. Yeah, it. you can do that right on Zoom, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That's what we oh, do well, with all of our videos. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> I'd really like to do that because I've spent a lot of time and effort in yeah, developing sure. this. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's a good archive, right? It's a combination of you telling the story plus plus you can have him speak the to the kids visuals. and you can yes. record yeah. it for him we, and then share it. We we can talk yeah. about that. Let's let's back up 50 years though. Uh, do you recall what did you think of when you heard of Sputnik the first time? Uh, I was intrigued. I guess I was probably let's see 57. I was probably in grade school, um, but uh, you know I had to get back and watch it on the TV that evening in black and white, and you know. And then, then the Apollo missions came along, so I was hooked. You know, that was it. Oh yes. So let let me ask one more follow up question about your first satellite, the ATS six. Yes. Was every um, I think of things in terms of boards today, right? The CubeSat, you have your boards that fit in. Did you build everything from scratch back in the day because they just hadn't been built, or 
was there such a thing as, you know, you would uh, hire a company to build a module or, or some sort of modular concept? Or was it everything from scratch? Everything was, you know, from the component level was assembled right there in front of the satellite. Yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of got there during the transition period up to that point. Uh, pretty much everything was built from scratch and without too much learning about what was right, and what was wrong on the last mission. But Goddard came up with a concept they called the uh, modular multi-mission spacecraft. And a lot of the part, there was a, what they call a bus, and then there was an instrument on top of it. And um, you left the bus part alone. It was made by Fairchild and you could just ordered one when you needed it. And then you put your instrument on top of it. And that's exactly uh, Hubble Space Telescope did it that way, a whole series of missions. And then when they brought the shuttle online, um, it, was, it had a specific structure that would hold that multi-mission modular spacecraft in place. And it could go up and you know kick it out. Or in the case of um, uh, Solar Maximum mission, we had to fix it. So they grabbed it and brought it back which is incredible. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, even today, you know, the popularity of the CubeSat, I think largely is the fact that it's all pro forma. You can be very right out of a catalog on everything but your payload. And then you can, that's actually the secret the, to our working with kids is we only focus on the payloads and we decide on a nice bus provider, you know, and we take that takes care of a lot of elements that you don't have to worry about and you focus entirely on the mission. And at middle school level, they haven't had calculus, they haven't had statics and dynamics and, and so many different topics yet, but they can do a good job on a payload. And right. then it's just a matter of integrating the payload. Yeah, um, I kind of expanded on that a little bit uh, in what I called uh, Cube Rover, which is you take a CubeSat and you put it on a platform and the platform can be tracked or wheeled, or it can fly, or it can be a boat, or you know whatever you want to do. And it turns out I was, I was ahead of my time because that's exactly what Carnegie Mellon is doing right now. Oh, with uh, astrobotics. Yeah, astrobotics. I, I've been there. I, we yeah. have literally that's been. You want to use astrobotics in order uh, to well, do your own? Rover, yeah, we right? we were trying to catch a ride with the Peregrine lander. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you how it works. The middle school kids work on CubeSats, but my few high school kids, they're just trying to shove a drivetrain into a CubeSat and have a rolling CubeSat as their lunar rover, right? You take all the knowledge from your CubeSat and put in the drivetrain, and now you've got a, basically what you said, a cube rover. Yep, yep. It's interesting. Um, I was working with a guy, uh, volunteering with a guy over at Goddard, who used to bring in um, something like two dozen uh, seniors and grad students like to work on a project during the uh, summer. And uh, they actually got paid, so even more incentive. But um, we worked on a project for two years and it built, successfully built and deployed a uh, rover, tracked rover in Greenland. And this thing was pretty massive. It was about the size of a, a small car, okay. uh, tracked, and it had to store the data. It used uh, ground, well, 
not ground penetrating radar. You change the frequency and you get ice penetrating radar. Ah. Um, they had to store all the data and then bring it back because uh, we just didn't have enough bandwidth to send it. It's an incredible amount. Um, so that that was a very successful uh, project uh, and introduced a lot of college students uh, to you know, real life engineering and particularly in air, it, and it was exciting. And as a footnote to that, I talked to the guy that ran the project uh, just the other day and told him about a new rover they're using on Mars and they decided to try it out in Greenland first. <laughs> it's um, wind powered. It just blows across the surface and takes readings as, you know, brilliant idea. You know, right. we built something that weighed a thousand pounds, but, you know, they have this little thing. It just wanders off. You don't have too much control over where it goes. It just follows right. the wind. Yeah. Right. I wanted to ask, you had mentioned early about CubeSat. So approximately what year were, were you first exposed to CubeSats? And then I want to discuss, in your, from, from your perspective, did it take a long time for them to take off? And, and if so, what were some of the technological challenges that maybe have been um, alleviated since then? Yeah, um, I probably learned about them about five years ago, I would say. And um, it took a while to understand exactly what was going on. You know, these are not toys, <laughs> these are real satellites. Uh, and of course, somebody had to design the dispenser for them and things like that. And now there's, dozens of companies that you know make kits or have components or whatever whatever so again it's like the goddard experience um all that stuff is off the shelf now put your your very own sensing or whatever you want to do with it on that so they caught on quite rapidly in fact the first one to be launched by a grade school was down here near me um, I, I do know that one it was a yeah. i think it was a, a catholic school I think it yeah. was over yeah. in Virginia. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started to get interested in CubeSats and, and the things you could do with them. Uh, and I did a series of books on uh, CubeSats based on the material that I had developed for the course. And so that course um, that you were teaching, because Kevin was telling me a little bit about the book, um, the course that you were teaching, that was at the last university that you were at, is that correct? So you, you correct, kind of yeah. had like an affinity, you kind of liked the idea of the CubeSat, so you then learned about it so you could teach your students, is that right? That's the best yeah. teacher, I guess, right? Yeah, and the uh, they had a, uh, there were a couple things in their favor. They had a, a department of astronautics or something like that with a guy who knew what he was doing. And he had built a CubeSat, he hoped one day to figure some way to sneak it into orbit, but he was very good and he knew how to build and test and such like that. So um, we also got a, uh, a ground station from the guys over in uh, Greece and uh, installed that and that worked out pretty well. But the students were universally above average. <laughs> they had to be to get here, you know. Right. The, the Brazilian government was paying them a lot of money. So um, the first thing I suggested to them, we had, we had an actual control center, uh, which is where they did the teaching for the controllers. And we hooked it up to our CubeSats so we could 
you know, take a look at the units under test. But uh, they quickly found out that, you know, testing was 24 seven and sometimes it was raining and you'd have to leave the dorm and come over and all. So they took the control center software that we were using, which was a commercial product and modified it so that all the data coming in was thrown up on a web page. <laughs> Nobody had thought about this yet. I mean, you know, it's so obvious. So well, when uh, you're starting with something new, right? Invariably, well, somebody's going to come up with something that hasn't uh, been been done yet. Yes, I, I will tell you, our team we re, we like using Global Star radios uh, mm -hmm. because, for that very reason, I I can't staff a, a ground station at the times when our little satellite's going to pass overhead. So we'll use these 23 Global Star satellites and uh, and let that network feed us to a nice dashboard and everybody has the data. And it's a wonderful learning tool for the classroom because all the data can be downloaded as a spreadsheet. That's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about your Brazilian students and I'm thinking about what a great experience that must have been for them. Were you able to determine uh, whether or not they were whether that changed the trajectory of their lives when they went back? I mean, were they, I mean, obviously they were already gonna be engineers, but how, how did that help them? Yeah. I. Uh stay in touch with them on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, and they've all got very high tech jobs. Some of them went on to complete their PhD. Um, they're all doing marvelous things out there. So yeah, it, it definitely changed their lives. They wouldn't have been able to do that uh, in Brazil. They just didn't have the infrastructure at right. the time. Uh, so yeah, it, it really did make a difference. Yeah, I'm sure that's very rewarding for you as well to have been part of that. Yeah. So are you a Pennsylvania kid? Is that where your home state Maryland. is? Maryland. Maryland. Okay. Western very good. Maryland. Uh, outstanding. Um, so you're retired now. Are you continuing to write or to teach even though you're somewhat retired? Um, I haven't been doing any teaching. Uh, as I say, my what I really wanted to do was take the, the material that I have already and uh, put it online. Um, I have been writing quite a bit. Uh, I <laughs> Mostly space topics. I seem to know more about this. Um, right before the James Webb mission, and I had been familiar with Webb, I used to take student tours in there and show them the thing in the, in the uh, uh, clean room. Okay. Yeah, and um, what was my point there? There was some point. Anyway, I knew Webb, and I oh, I have a very iconic picture of me standing next to it. Yes, <laughs> it you know, well. I, I was in the green. I was there at Goddard years ago when the the uh, panels, the gold panels. Uh, I'm sorry, I forget what they're made of. It's a uh, what element? Um, Beryllium, I think. It yes, is. I believe yeah. you're correct. Each of those big hexagonal panels, they're yep. massive, right? And yep. But I remember looking through the observation glass down at that. Was that like one of the world's largest clean rooms or what? Yeah, I think it is the largest clean room. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is It is very, I don't think people get what a big deal James Webb was. It, the technical yeah. difficulty, the bureaucratic nightmare, and it all came down to a European rocket working well. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah. So what I did um, was I'm always working on about 10 or 12 different projects, but I stopped momentarily and wrote a book on Webb, James Webb, 
which was a little bit, um, I don't want to say it was pre premature, but I was taking a chance because I was going to publish it before we knew that it all, in fact, we still don't know that it all works completely the way. Right. But the nice thing about uh, working with, uh, I use the Amazon platform, it's very easy to revise books. So I had um, done this book on James Webb and if you've been following it all uh, on Facebook and such, uh, it has just grabbed the attention of so many people worldwide. And I'm spending all this time explaining concepts of people to ask questions. You know? right. I so feel you're like still I teaching, see? You're still teaching, see? You're still teaching, just in a yeah. different Well, yes, we, know, we know the rocket put it in a very, you know, the rocket was so precise that it saved a lot of fuel and extended the life on it. We right. know that its mirrors are gradually, I don't know how many steps, the process to focus, but so far, so good, right? Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah, so I will revise my book on that, which is a relatively easy process in a while. But what blew me away, because I knew people were interested in space at a certain level and stuff like that. So the uh, month after I published the book, you know, I'm looking down, oh, I sold two of these, I sold five of those. I sold, I sold 600 web books. <laughs> wow. I mean, the, the interest out there is just unbelievable. So I'm doing an Artemis book right now, so getting ready for that mission. You know, I'm going to have to put you in touch with a, another friend of ours who bemoans the fact that there just aren't enough, apparently, space books out there. She's, um, she's, a, an, she's been writing for some time. She's an educator, and she particularly is interested in Florida's, you know, Space Coast. And she really, as an educator herself, says good material to teach kids about this at a younger age, but that's still informative and not like a Dr. Right. Seuss book she, is, is yes. she, she wants books for her grandkids. That's what she tells us. So, okay. That's how I write them is for my grandkids. That's exactly <laughs> what she said. She said, uh, she's just starting to write them. We, um, she worked with a few of our students who were interested who, you know, they're, they weren't necessarily building the cube sets, but they like to, you know, artistically make, uh, well, stories for younger kids. And so yeah. they worked together with her to write something on the ISS and vertical landings, but she just says, there's just not enough out there. So right. I'm going to make okay. the introduction well, just for the sake of time as we've kind of come to the end of our podcast. I normally ask about words of wisdom, but I'm sure you have so many stories from your time in the industry. So as we close tonight, I'd like you to maybe share with us either a favorite story or, or both, um, what you think might have been might have been the biggest contribution during the earlier space, you know, race as it were, and to where we are now. Biggest contribution. Um, it's hard to say. I, you know, I uh, think it might have been the lunar landing when we pulled that off. You uh, mean, when it, they landed and returned safely. Right. And return to we're yeah. going to go to the moon and oh by the way <laughs> and yes. come back yes yeah. I, that was yeah. I, I agree that's that was why a, I think all the um, interest is now in something like the Artemis mission because yeah. uh, we're going back to the moon and we might be taking that over to Mars and you know I got two books in work uh, one is on Mars itself and the other is a STEM-like activity called the Mars Railroad. Mm. Okay. And I make the case for the railroad. 
and they say and here's how we would have to do this differently than we do it on earth and you know that type of thing so that's right. fantastic that, that's great. crazy ideas i get you know um well i'm going to invite you when we finish our we're going to shut down our podcast in a minute but i'm going to invite you to talk to my wolfpack cubesat team he also should talk to okay. the and, and i also yes we have some organizations here in florida that i think you'd be ideal your to powerpoint share. would be ideal right there and, too so and, and lastly and lastly let me just throw out the idea there needs to be a companion book to your web book that is about the cosmology and the earliest you know the origins of the universe and mm. since that what that's what web is going to be looking at right yeah Back in history i think that would be a great companion book okay um i just wanted to mention uh, go ahead and give your friend my name i will and say go on amazon and type his name in and you'll see the list of books well, and i would be more than happy to give her uh, a, a PDF copy for free. Oh, I'm sure. She, I'm going to connect you via email. But while while in our last few minutes, why don't you share out uh, so everyone can go to Amazon, type in mm -hmm. Pat Stakem, that's S-T-A-K-E-M, and see a mm -hmm. list of your books there. Is that correct? Do you have a website that's or good. anything else that you want to maybe plug? Uh, that's probably it. Amazon is good enough. So okay. Well, I very much enjoyed your CubeSat book. I really appreciate, Pat, you taking the time to share with us just a little bit today. We are going to ask you back in the future so we can continue talking about um, your exploits, uh, both past yeah. and present. And okay. uh, we just want to thank you for being with us here today. And thank you. This is uh, very exciting, I think. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled I might be able to get back and influence some students. Wonderful. Thank you. Wow, he was really interesting to talk with. You know, the more we do these podcasts, when we when we speak with people who have been around from the beginning of the program and to see all the advancements, it's really uh, very kind of fascinating to to hear how not only brilliant but just how how like humbled they are by the whole yeah, thing. It, I, I I think what really makes me a little bit happy is not only when you meet people that are accomplished, but they get to a certain point in life where all they want to do is share what they know yeah. and engage uh, younger people in their craft or field or whatnot. And that's where he is. Uh, uh, after our recording ended, we talked briefly about his uh, involvement with distance education and folks in the military. And we will have uh, him back and we're looking forward to helping him uh, digitize the courses that he taught at university. And again, I read one of his CubeSat books uh, a few years ago and that's how I, I got interested in meeting him. So. Well, I hope that all of our listeners will check him out. That's S-T-A-K-E-M, Pat Stakem, again on Amazon for some of those books yes. um, and, and help support his cause. I think he's got a lot of information to share. Yes, they're, they're paperbacks. They're very reasonably priced, very uh, written for, uh, I would call it the layman, the, you know, the person that just really is curious about what the heck is going on on any subject. So thank you. Um, Folks, we appreciate you joining us uh, this week. We look forward to uh, having you join us for our next podcast. We remind you, if you have not yet, to like and subscribe. And please also share with your friends who might be interested. But most importantly, leave us a review, especially on Apple or Spotify, so that that moves us up in the algorithms where we can be found by more like-minded people. So join us next week when we say, let's, let's go, go to, to space. space. Are you looking for a way to get your middle or high schooler engaged in higher level STEM material with an aerospace focus? 
Well, the Aerospace and Innovation Academy is registering for summer sessions now and includes great options like CubeSat mission planning, space settlement design, science fair prep, and orbital mechanics. Choose from face-to-face in Palm Beach County, Florida and online options to keep your student learning over the summer. Spaces are limited, so check out our social media sites or our webpage for more information, or you can just use the Google form, which is a registration link with all the details posted in the show notes. We look forward to your student joining us as we go to space this summer.